from our minds and our hearts, so thank you. The badge of courage today, in my opinion, goes to Michael Miller, wearing a Cardinals jersey among us today. Not that, but <laughs> good for you. You know you're in Philistine territory, don't you? Yeah, good. So grateful for Michael and so many like him. Michael came to know Christ here in this ministry. The Lord transformed his heart and uh, he's grown him up and tooled him up. He's serving here and we're thankful for that. So we're grateful for all of you who serve so faithfully on our lift team. And tonight, if you want to just be led in worship again, just uh, praise and celebration, we invite you to come back tonight for our citywide worship service. We, got, we have the great, really, honor of hosting that tonight. This is the last of three ser- citywide services, and um, folks uh, and congregations from all over the Wabash Valley will be here tonight and uh, kind of fill our campus, and I, I'm excited because they get to meet all of you if you come, and um, I know you will, right? And then, of course, our Brandon and his magnificent team will lead us in worship, and the Centennial Choir will be here. And um, that's a little reminder for you and the choir to be here to, to help us celebrate. So we're just really grateful for that and um, humbled by it and in prayer that God will speak um, powerfully tonight. I want to invite you this morning to turn to, in the New Testament, if you have a copy of the scriptures. And if you don't, there are some copies of uh, the scriptures just in the pew back in front of you, or maybe lean on and uh, look on a friend or someone who's with you, to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. You know, there really is a sweetness to what we call perfect timing. A tax refund comes at just the right time. You think the lights are just about to go out. Someone delivers a meal to your door. It's warm. Um, it smells wonderful. It's at the end of a long day of recovery. Maybe you get an encouraging text or note or email or something from a friend. It's delivered right at your lowest moment. Um, maybe it comes in the form of an unexpected uh, hug uh, from a loving or a loving word from a child you thought was just not getting it at all. You know, they're just kind of out there, and all of a sudden, it just surprises you. And there's there's something wonderful about perfect timing. Paul Acey tells a great story about his last race in Arizona, just at a time when many just thought the whole thing was coming down around him. There was someone there that handed him something that's just what he needed to keep his keep him on the journey. It's perfect timing. These are serendipitous for sure, these moments, but more than that, they seem to come from God. The one who specializes in perfect timing. That's his work. And there's something of grace in God's perfect timing. Or he's there just at the right time in just the amount of measure with just the right word or answer. And that's what this passage is about this morning. This passage is about the perfect timing of God. It's a classic passage. It's often kind of referred to and quoted at Christmas time. And you'll see why in a moment, but I want to just read it this morning and spend a little time thinking about it as God would lead us. This is what Paul says at the beginning of Galatians chapter 4. Think of it this way. This is why it takes me so long to get through series. But by the way, do you know 
that God is really concerned about the way you think about whatever happens to be your situation. And in fact, he's so presumptuous and so bold that he actually wants to deliver unto you the way you actually ought to think about it. (laughs) He doesn't necessarily want to leave that to chance or maybe to your own understanding. So he's going to say, listen, think about it this way. Here's how you need to think about this situation. And so he gives a great example of our need. If a father dies, he says, and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything the father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. So this is B.C. He's talking about everything B.C. Before Christ, before somehow this person who also happens to be creator God breaks into your situation. This is what it looks like. It looks like a child who is mind-bogglingly wealthy because of his relationship to the Father, but he can't touch a cent of it because it's in a trust. And he's really no better off than a slave who absolutely has nothing and is so dependent upon the person who happens to be over him. That's what it feels like, you see, to be in life, to be in this kind of existence on this planet as a person, whatever the situation, before Christ, B.C. It just feels like you're stuck. Like a child. Or like a slave. Both who have absolutely no means for finding their way out. So, God says, listen, whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, whatever it happens to be that you're just stuck in, you need to think about it this way. He's offering you his perspective. The reason it feels that way is because it is that way. Until something outside of you is able to kind of break in and transform the situation, it's going to feel that way. You are going to be stuck. Um, He goes on to say, uh, the next verse, verse 3, that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. That is the basis, most foundational principles of what it looks like to live on this planet apart from God. You're stuck there. B.C. (laughs) But, you see, that's a grace word. It's a tiny little word in the Greek, kia. It's a tiny little word in the English, but it has enormous implications for you. But, but is a grace word. But, when the perfect time came, the right time came, God sent his son. God makes a move. (laughs) He delivers unto the world something of his own, his son, Born of a woman, that just means he was born just like you, in the flesh, into the planet, subject to the law. 
And God sent him to change everything, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Habba, Father. See, it changes the whole relationship. Now you are no longer a slave. You're no longer stuck. This is A.D. <laughs> See, this, this is after deliverance. Everything else was before Christ. Now it's A.D. It's after Christ has come and spoken into your experience. Now you are no longer stuck. You are no longer slaves. The relationship has changed, but you are now God's own child. You get everything. And since you are his child... Everything he has to give you is no longer locked in a trust. Now you have become the heir. It's yours. It's yours. That's grace. (laughs) That's really good news, isn't it? It's like kind of wrestled with this. You know, there's kind of a couple of options about how we go about it. We can go about it like really theologically and kind of unpack all these powerful kind of principles and maybe even look at a couple of words. But you know, I don't know. I was just kind of asking the Lord how to, he just led me. He was just good and he, he brought to mind some stories. So, I mean, just thinking, what was it like at that perfect time when the fullness of time came? When God sent forth his son, when God actually made a move towards the planet, what was it like? That had to have been a real time. (laughs) And so we're going to go to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, because here we begin to see what transpires. Mark, hold your finger or a note, or is this something in Galatians 4? Because we'll come back to it briefly in a few moments. But right now we're going to go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Just a few pages uh, to your left in the New Testament. It's the second of the four uh, Gospels. I just just want to look for the timing words here. This is what Mark does. He strings together a series of closely related events. These are real historical events that actually happened in people's lives as they encountered this one that God sent. So right at the beginning, at verse 16 of Mark chapter 1, this is what Mark says. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. He sees two men, and they're throwing a net into the water because that's what they did for a living. These guys were on the job. So here comes Jesus in the fullness of time, in God's perfect timing. He sent his son into the world, and here he is now. He's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's on a walk, and he sees two men, and they're on the job. They're actually throwing their nets out into the water because that's what they did for a living. They were fishing. They were providing for their families. They were keeping the lights on in their homes. That's what they were doing. Who knows what else was going on in those homes? But this is what Mark tells us. Jesus calls out to them. Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. 
what? <laughs> what do you mean by that? I'm going to change your life if you follow me. I'm going to reorder everything. You're going to go from being fishermen to being missionaries. I'm changing everything. You follow me. Verse 18. So? They did. They left their nets at once. That's a timing phrase. They left their nets immediately. They left their nets at once and followed him. How about that? <laughs> immediately they followed Jesus. Now watch this. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw two more men, Zebedee's sons, James and John. They were in a boat repairing their nets. So they had just come in from being on the job. And they were with their father. So they were in business with their dad, Zebedee. But this time, they're on the shore. They're in the boat, and they are working on their nets. Okay? S very similar scenario. And Jesus says to them the same thing. He called them at once, immediately. And they also followed him. Only this time, they left their father, Zebedee, Mark says, in the boat. They left their dad in the boat. So I take it that these two men hear this word from Jesus, this call. In the fullness of time, in their experience, in their life, in their situation, they had no idea who this man was. They had no idea what was about to transpire. But in the fullness of time, Jesus, the one who God sent, stepped into their world and he said, you follow me. And they immediately got out of the boat and left their dad in the boat and followed him. Can anyone here explain how that happened? <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, just think of your world today. If Jesus was just walking down the lane and saw you doing your whatever and says, I want you to follow me. I'm going to change everything. I'm going to reorder everything because the time has come. The fullness of time has come. And God has sent me to change everything. Guess what? That's exactly what he's already said to you. Jesus call you into something at this point that would completely rearrange your world and you'd be ready to respond like that? Or is it just, it's too much about your nets or maybe your father or maybe your business or maybe your family or whatever happens to be or your scenario. But you see, grace has perfect timing. Grace always breaks in unexpected and offers an, a, a completely new scenario for you. That's what Jesus came to bring. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. Now there's another story. If you just go on a few more verses down to verse 35 or so. Same chapter, Mark chapter 1. 
verse 35, Mark says that before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. So they're looking for Jesus. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. So they were concerned about the crowd of people. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well so that I can preach to them too. That's why I came. I came to preach. I came to deliver people. I came to bring this message. So we must keep moving. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. This is what was happening in the fullness of time when God sent his son. He came to speak. He came to deliver. He came to bring this message. And he was in motion. Now in the midst of this, look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. Can you imagine this? Here's a man who his whole life had felt the sting of shame, the reproach of a disease that meant only bad things to the culture that swirled around him. And now Jesus, in the fullness of time, has been sent from God. And in this place... As Jesus is in motion, here comes a man who encounters the living, creating, saving, gracious, compassionate God-man Jesus. And he begs him to be healed. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. Listen, listen to these words. I am willing. (laughs) He's willing. John says in the beginning of his gospel that B.C., the word was God, the word was with God, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. He came full of all this wondrous goodness from God. Grace and truth. He came to his own, but they missed it. They rejected it, but to everyone who received it, you see, they became what? Sons of God. They became heirs. Everyone who received. You need to know I don't know where you are. I don't know what you've brought into this place. I don't know what you've been experiencing. I don't know what your scenario is. But in the fullness of time, this is the fullness of time because God has sent his son to this planet for you and you need to know he is willing. If you will respond. Here's this man who's broken. He's... He's in pain. He's horrified. He's filled with shame. And he begs Jesus for what Jesus has come to bring. If you are willing. And Jesus says, of course I'm willing. Be healed. This is what Jesus came to do. Mark chapter 2. We've got to keep going here. Mark chapter 2, the very beginning. Just watch this. Jesus returned to Capernaum. Several days later, the news spread quickly that he, was, that he was back. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door, while he was preaching God's word to them. He's got such focus. That's what I love about the Savior. He's preaching God's word to them. Four men arrived 
carrying a paralyzed man on the mat. This is what's going on in the fullness of time when God sent his son into the world. There's a crowd of people gathered around this one that God sent, and now these men are carrying a paralyzed man, and he's on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. There were too many people, so they couldn't get in the main entrance. So this man is on a mat, and that's what these, uh, these paralytics would do. They would be placed on a mat because they, could, they had no wheelchairs. They didn't have these kind of battery-operated devices that could move people uh, across a, a bit of ground. And so they had to be carried. And so here's a man on a mat, and he's mangled, and he cannot move. And he's carried into this place where Jesus is, but they cannot get in. Now we have this mournful little animal, this dog in our home. Her name is Maya. And everybody loves this dog. Uh, uh, most everybody loves this dog. But anyway, she's, she's, she's uh, happened upon us through a friend. And she has stayed and seems to be quite comfortable living in our home. <clears throat> and most of the time she's outside, but she sleeps on the inside and the kids have found an old bean bag that we do not use anymore because bean bags eventually go flat, I guess. So this thing is, 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 um, is a horrible looking thing, but it, it's, it, it's on the floor, and Maya likes to sleep on the bean bag. So she curls up on that thing, and, and she goes sound asleep. Well, Jacob <coughs> and Maya have quite a connection, and, and Jacob enjoys the dog's companionship in, at the night, and so what he does is, while Maya is still sleeping on the mat, he he bends over and takes one end and the, like this, and he pulls it together, and he picks the dog up with the mat. The dog doesn't make a move, just completely unconscious, and he walks the dog across the house and places him down at the side of his bed, and they all live happily ever after. That is exactly what happens with a paralytic person in he cannot move that's what it means to be paralyzed you're stuck physically bc so these men in the fullness of time pick this man up they make their way to this place where Jesus is preaching. They cannot get in, so they somehow find a way to carry him to the top of the roof, which is made of straw and grass and mud, and they start digging a hole in order that they might lower him back down. In the, so here, do you see this scene? This man had no idea. He could not move. He could not have protested. They just picked him up in his debilitated state and brought him to Jesus. This is the one who God sent. And the scripture says, that they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Oh man, I've I, seen their faith. Jesus said to the man, my child, your sins are forgiving, forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, which by the way, that's what religious people always do. They think to themselves. 
They're of no good or no use to anybody else, but they think to themselves. In the midst of everything going on, in the fullness of time, here is this one. Here are people who are begging him to be healed, and they're, they're going to enormous extent to, to bring this man into Jesus' presence. And there's a group over here on the side going, thinking to themselves. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers, They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. That's God's perfect timing. And the question is, if he's here, if he has come, if he has made this offer, not only for the forgiveness of sins, but to heal you and set you free... What are you waiting for? He has come. God has sent his son to set the captive free, to call you to repentance, to rebuild your broken world, to give you a brand new vision for your life, to offer you a different way of living, free from the basic principles of this world, not always struggling, but being free, choosing. But we rather choose sin over surrender and safety over sacrifice and fear over faith and control over over obedience, you see. And we love busyness rather than faithfulness. And we prefer security over submission. And we stay in our chains. In the fullness of time. He is here. There is really only two responses. The first is portrayed in these wonderful stories. People begging Jesus to set them free. To do do for them what only he can do. To heal them, to deliver them, to make their life new. Or you can sit on the side And say, that's not for me. That can't be the real deal. Someone here, this morning, on this day, is sitting in the fullness of time, God's time for, the, for you. But you are BC. You're lost. 
God says that before Christ, you were lost, you were stuck, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are under the condemnation of sin's grip on your life. You couldn't get out of that situation if your life depended on it. And someone here, in the fullness of God's perfect timing, is there today. You are lost because you don't know God. But in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, Jesus, to set you free, to redeem you by his grace and give you hope, give you a new life, a new start, and the promise of eternity. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ came. He walked this planet. He suffered untold sufferings. They put him on a cross. He shed his blood, and he gave up his life. He died on that cross, and the scripture says that they put him in the grave. They buried him in a tomb, and for three days he stayed in that tomb. But on On the third day, the Bible says he was raised to life. He rose from the grave in order to lead you to an eternal experience with God. Listen, if you have never come to grips with that, today is the fullness of God's timing for you. It is his grace. What are you waiting for? But there's also someone here today who's known all that and received all that. You have been forgiven. You have experienced the forgiveness of your sins. You have the promise of eternal life, but you're still living like you're BC. You're stuck. You've never known the fresh wash of freedom. You're bound. You still want to somehow live up to your own standards or place some sort of standard on yourself or you're, you're stuck in this need to control everything and everyone around you or you're debilitated by fear or you, you, you struggle, you're paralyzed with something from your past. Listen, this is the fullness of God's timing for you too. Because God says... If Christ has set you free, you are free. Free to love, free to sing, free to dance, free to serve, free to get out of the boat, free to leave your father in the boat and follow Christ to who knows where. You're free to do that if he calls. That's his vision for you. It's his vision for your family. It's his vision for for this ministry. He's here. Amen? He's, He's alive. And he doesn't want you to be stuck. He wants you to be free. And maybe you're going... I'm ready, if you're willing. He is willing. He's willing. Whatever it is, he's willing. He's willing. 
So like the leper and like the blind man and like the paralyzed beggar on the mat, need to come to Jesus. Listen, the answer to your need is not me, it's not this ministry. The answer to your need is not some religion. The answer to your need is not some self-help program. The answer to your need is a person, and it's the person that in the fullness of time, God sent forth to redeem you and to set you free, and he's the only one that can do it, and you need to fall at his feet today. This is the time. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm going to invite you to come. If you're lost without God and you've never had him in your life, I'm going to invite you to come right down here and receive the gift of his grace just by bowing before him and calling on his name. I'm going to invite you to come right down here. If you need to bring someone with you, you come. If your life is absolutely come unglued and you're on a slide, you're out of control, I don't care what the situation is, I'm going to invite you to come too because Jesus is the answer to your need. You need to come to Jesus this morning, today. The fullness of time is yours and it's now and you need to come to him right now. If you need Jesus Christ and his power in your life today, you need to come. Lord God, undo every barrier Unshackle every foot or ankle. Make the lame to walk and the blind to see today. Whatever it takes, Lord Jesus, set them free to come to you, to kneel before you and surrender to your grace for the praise and glory of your name. stand but you come you come to Jesus today